Hello everyone and welcome to Chill Pill. My name is Emma Ives and I am the creator slash host of this fabulous podcast. I created this podcast since I love all things medicine. I love reading about it. I love talking about it. And my roommates were getting kind of sick and tired of hearing about it. I'm not a medical professional, so I'll never give any advice on the medical stuff. Please seek out your primary care physician for advice. I will link all my sources in the description as well as mention them throughout the podcast. Welcome back. After a two-month hiatus slash three-month hiatus to apply to pharmacy school, I'm finally back to talk to you all about my favorite topic. First, happy health literacy month. This month is all about promoting the importance of understandable health information and access to health information. So make sure you head over to my Instagram at chillpill underscore with Emma Ives to read some fun science posts. However, in this episode, we are not really talking about health literacy. That will be later this month. In honor of spooky season, today we're talking about health in Europe in the Middle Ages, because to be honest, it was kind of weird. Warning, this episode contains a lot of gross things that people did in relation to diagnosing and treatment. And, well, Middle Ages aren't exactly my specialty, so I decided to talk to my roommate, Emma Picked, who kind of likes this stuff. So, so I can just do. start so do talking. whatever you want, Emma. I just start talking whenever? Yes. Cool. Well, um... Hi everyone, my name is also Emma. How long have we been living together? Forever. Yeah, it's been a while at this point. Yes. It's been a while. Um, it does get confusing sometimes, but uh, just know that we're both nerds, but I am the history nerd. Yes. And you're the medicine nerd. Yes. And I go to you for when I um, am sick. Yes. Like a real pharmacist. Yes, but I am not a real pharmacist. Not yet. <laughs> not yet. We're working on that. Emmanuel, you're going to get there and you're going to kick ass. Yes. We also have Leah in the room. She may or may not say anything. <laughs> real quick, I want to just... Uh, one thing of note in your introduction. Yes. I don't um, l- just like this stuff. This isn't just a hobby of mine. This is actually what I study. So I, I do tend to know a little bit more um, than, the, than the common person who just likes the Middle Ages. We've gotten to that point in quarantine in which we really just want to talk to people about things. <laughs> and so now I've spent a lot of time with my roommates and we I have talked at them about various medical things. So I think it's like Emma's turn to talk at us about history medicine things. First, we're going to kind of talk about, kind of just explain the mindset of the Middle Ages. Because they had a lot of really interesting ideas about how the world worked. So we have a lot of texts from Galen, Hippocrates, and we also have texts from Aristotle, which they retrieved during the Crusades. And all of these texts kind of came together to form the medieval mindset of medical opinions, which of course was controlled by the church because... The church was a very important part The church was everything. There was no division between science and the church. Science and religion coexisted and were one under the church. The four humor theory is, the first thing you need to understand in order to understand this, is that they saw the universe as as being made of four elements, earth, air, water, fire. So avatar. So so the avatar elements. (laughs) And that God put those four elements together in order to make the earth. And they took that story and then went, well, if God used those four elements to make the earth, clearly he used those four elements to make us. And they correspond to four humors, the the most notable of which is probably blood, which corresponds to air. There is um, yellow bile, black bile, and phlegm, which all correspond to elements. How they were in balance really dictated how you were treated within the medical field. 
from my understanding of us talking about this yesterday, it was more of a, we treat one at a time, not all of these things are a result of one illness. They didn't see a group of symptoms as pointing to one illness. They saw each symptom as its own independent illness. I guess the four symptoms would be hot, dry, cold, and wet. They, they tend to ascribe those qualities to symptoms. Mm -hmm. which is very strange in my mind. But it was more those qualities were given to symptoms rather than the symptoms were inherently hot, those cold, dry, qualities. or wet. Instead, the people themselves were hot, cold, dry, or wet. Like, women were always seen as cold and wet, and then men were seen as hot and dry. And those qualities are very important for understanding also how they viewed gender in medicine during this era because... Yes it was treated very differently. It was also very interesting that they believed that everyone had a unique balance of these humors. Cause that's, to me, that's a very similar idea to everyone has a unique gen genetic makeup and everyone needs to be treated differently based on their genetic makeup. And so that makes me think that they maybe, they weren't as, you know- Barbaric? Barbaric as we ascribe them to be sometimes. It's mostly the way that they're portrayed in media nowadays, where it's a barbaric era. But in reality, we find that they actually had a lot of legal systems in place, as well as medical systems in place, that made sense for the technology they had at the time. Yes. So although they had the theory that everyone is different and you need to treat them differently, the science that they had to back that up was completely yes. wrong. The Zodiac Man was a symbol that was in a lot of medical texts that were given to educated people at the time, particularly when they were educated at university. This was a diagram that they would be given, and it actually showed the 12 Zodiac signs in the order that they are, starting with, I think Taurus is at the top? We wrote this down, Emma. It's on this piece of paper. It Aries. Aries is at the top. Aries and Taurus, and it ends with Aquarius and Pisces at the bottom. And each of these Zodiac signs correspond to specific body parts. So each kind of level of the body was associated with a time of the year. It also had to do with when you were born. So if you were born under a particular zodiac sign, you had some qualities. The interesting thing was that they actually used the stars quite a bit to decide when they would perform surgery. Which I think is interesting because that's not how we perform surgery today. I'm wondering if they ever ran into a, you're bleeding out because you've <laughs> been stabbed and it's like, oh no, we can't operate because this zodiac sign is. Let's be fully honest. The, the medieval ages, as much as I think they were more advanced than we give them credit for, they didn't have clean water. Like that no. was the most basic thing you need for, no. for decent medicine. No, they did not have clean water. They did not understand that germs existed and would not understand that germs existed for a very well, long time. Well, they had the concept of miasma and there was sometimes good air and sometimes bad air. They had that concept, but they didn't have a concept of bacteria. That no, was not- they did not understand that. No, because no. that, that took until Pasteur? That took until Pasteur, which I went to Europe for a week to study this and then, you know, totally forgot everything. It just flew out. I believe is 1800s. They still didn't like understand that you needed to wash with soap and water, but they did understand that you needed to- You needed to clean at the very least. You needed to clean. They just didn't understand how to do it correctly. Right. So yes, quick reminder, um, wash your hands for 20 seconds. Coronavirus is still going on. Yes. This is a public announcement. This is a PSA, uh, please <laughs> wash your hands. And your mask goes over your mouth and your nose. So that, that long tangent was basically to say what they did have control over was instead preventing it from spreading. And we do also have records of them performing surgeries in the case of an emergency, even if it's an auspicious day with the Zodiac. Depending on how good of a doctor you were, 
you got very wealthy very fast if you were a very good doctor, if you had a very low rate of death, which is bound to happen. So now if we're kind of in the mindset of people in the Middle Ages <laughs> and their really interesting views on how the world worked, yeah. we're going to get to everyone's favorite part, is what kind of treatment options were... You mean the gross part. That's a gr the gross part. So the gross part. if, you know, you're a little squeamish, from here on out, we're going to be talking about gross things. We take a lot of the things that we have for granted today. During the Middle Ages was where we got a lot of our basic medicines from. Yes, and I do think people sometimes forget this. The basis for a majority of treatments mm -hmm. and medicines today are founded on those natural compounds. During the Middle Ages, we had a lot of records of either people at university being taught certain herbal combinations that were then called potions. Simultaneously, there were a lot of just lay people who through process of elimination and accidentally stumbling into the scientific method ended up developing concoctions that were actually very productive. They had a lot of concoctions that were great for blood thinners. Yes, they, they had They had blood thinners, they had blood thickeners that they knew how to use, they knew which ones to use, they knew which herbs could bring down a fever. And so through that process of elimination, they ended up getting some really awesome herbal recipes. They were very interesting to say the least. Most of the time it was, there was the one thing that worked and then they just threw in a bunch of other things that did not. They knew that that combination worked and they didn't know necessarily which one. The other main treatments were, of course, for humoral theory and balancing the humors. I think we should just start with the grossest one, yes. which was enemas. They started with, they, they had enemas as a treatment. Doctors would specialize in giving enemas. It's wild how prominent this was. We also have bloodletting. And it's just very interesting that we talked about this yesterday, mm -hmm. that when you watch films, it's always leeches. But that wasn't the most common one. No, it actually wasn't. I think that the leeches are common in films because you don't actually have to show someone slicing open their arm. What they would do is they had a chart of the body and they would slice open the body at certain points to let out blood. Most often, the people with a clean knife were not doctors, because doctors were not really a thing during this period, but they were actually your barbers. And what they would do is you would go to a barber, they would start the bloodletting, and then you would place your arm out upon a pole. They would also do this with pustules too, which is just gross, but the pimple poppers yes. are gonna be super excited about that. But essentially the blood would then spiral and drain down the pole, which is why we have the symbol of a barbershop shop being the red pole. stripes. And only in America does it also have the blue stripes. We also have evidence that books in the vernacular getting passed down to barbers, it was a form of education that was allowed to be accessible to lay people, which I think is really significant given that no other form of education was accessible. You have, you have phlebotomy, you have leeches, you also have cupping. It's very fascinating. Anyone who knows what cupping is now, it is a very old procedure. That was a thing in the Middle Ages too, except they would make sure that there was an incision where they then placed the vacuum so that it would slowly suck blood out of your body. Most often this was done around the neck, which kind of horrifies me. And although this would be extremely painful, they reserved this for people who they considered to be more sensitive. Which <laughs> I thought would be hemophiliacs. It's not hemophiliacs. It's children and pregnant women. Yeah, so anyone that they would perceive to be more susceptible to the pain. Diet was also used, which I think is really interesting because we don't really do that unless you go to a nutritionist these days. Well, we have diets, but there's so many that are scams and, and encourage eating disordered, disordered yes. thinking about food. 
that it's really hard to wade through it. And I do think that you need a medical professional to help you. But in this period, we did not have that. What we had were cookbooks. We had cookbooks for women in the houses to make food from. And this was mostly for the lay people because they didn't have any other way to pay for balancing the humor. So the rich people get phlebotomy regularly to make sure they didn't have an excess of blood. Mm -hmm. They had access to all of these treatments. They had access to court physicians. They had, they had the money to pay these guys, whereas lay people didn't. So lay people would instead turn to cookbooks in order to be able to balance the four humors themselves. So if they were born under a certain star sign that was hot um, and potentially wet, then they would turn to foods to balance that out so that they would be more towards the center. The other aspects were that they would then have a certain diet based off of class as well, which was actually put into law. Just just of note to, to say that these, these cookbooks weren't really helpful by modern nutritionist standards? No, they are not anywhere near The idea is modern, the execution is not. No. Fish was considered a vegetable. Upper class people were prescribed diets of entirely meat and protein. Which is not good for you. Please do not do that. And then lay people were prescribed diets of exclusively plants and vegetation, which is also not good for you. You need the variety. You need to have variety. You need to have variety. My favorite part because you know pharmacy prescribed herbs i would say toward the end of the middle ages you start seeing what traditional apothecaries i think that has to do a lot with urbanization yes because the education was rare and then they would move to urban areas where they could serve a larger clientele which is how we have more records of those places yes so you start seeing apothecaries specifically the first record in at least the UK of an apothecary is in 1345. With the Guild of Pepperers in London, prescriptions didn't exist back then at all. No. It was more of a over-the-counter uh, self-diagnosing situation. Also, they were called the Guild of Pepperers because you would also buy your spices from an apothecary. Right, so spices were, were seen as med medicine. Right. Yes, time. spices were medicine. Although prescriptions weren't a thing, like you wouldn't go see someone who would then diagnose you, prescribe you, and then send you to the apothecary. Yes, there, that, that system was, not, was not in place. You would either relay your own symptoms yourself, so self-diagnosis. Yes. You would have to remember all of your symptoms. You would tell them to the apothecary. And then maybe if the apothecary had a good enough relationship with you, they would help you come up with a, a treatment plan. Also, I did find this really fascinating that apothecaries kind of gave women opportunities to gain higher knowledge because you would have women ass like assisting an apothecary because it was a family-run business and they would start to sort of learn without that formal education. Again, more advanced than I think we give the Middle Ages credit for. Also proves that Outlander is not ridiculous. Cauterization. They did have this and they used it quite a bit, however painful it might have been specifically to block off infection from spreading. So if yes. you had an infected finger, they would then cauterize it, remove it, and that would hopefully prevent the infection from spreading if they got it yes. early enough. They did have that understanding of <laughs> this illness would spread if we didn't do this. So if they weren't able to cauterize a wound, like we have a record of someone- Di Are we talking about styptus? Since cauterization was often used to prevent heavy bleeding, and they couldn't cauterize inside the body, and they also couldn't cauterize in very sensitive areas, like on the neck. 
They would actually use combinations of egg white, gum, frankincense, and an aloe that was often bound together with hair. And then they would place that either over the wound or inside the body where the wound was to essentially create a shell. We also start seeing what now would be called anesthesia. And anesthesia officially didn't come about until about 1850 with Jon Snow. It was very controversial because they knew how dangerous it was. Obviously, we didn't have any sort of way to ensure that the patient would keep on breathing. We didn't have any sort of system to regulate how they were doing during the surgery. You just kind of had to guess and check. Many doctors did not at all condone the use of it, but other doctors thought it was very helpful because if the person wasn't awake, they wouldn't move. The reason it was so controversial was often because it used hemlock. Yes, it used a lot of poisonous things. It used bryony, which is a poisonous flower. Mm -hmm. used opium, hemlock, which is a poisonous plant. Mm -hmm. And you also had henbane, which was also another poisonous plant. Most popular one was called dwale. They would mix it together in a pot with a large, like, large amount of wine. Then the patient would drink it. They would essentially get the patient drunk, high, and then induce a sleep-like state using the hemlock. And because this mixture was so, so toxic, the reason that bryony was included was because... They needed to flush the body. They needed to flush it out of the body as quickly as possible. To be fair, during this time, surgery was not a 10-hour procedure. Surgery was as quick as you possibly can so that the person doesn't bleed out or pass out from shock. They have no way to control bleeding out. They they didn't. So if, if a person started bleeding out, it was essentially a death sentence. Yeah, so your surgery was five minutes. They would try and do it as quickly as possible, or they would try and be so delicate that they would take hours to do like the simplest task. They had to do such a carefully measured dose of hemlock and even the slightest bit too much would kill the patient. It meant that the patient was virtually unmovable during the surgery. And then we did talk about uroscopy as a diagnostic tool. It still is a yeah, it, it still, still is, is a diagnostic tool technically. Yes. It's actually yeah, I lied. It would be that's still a diagnostic tool. I would consider that kind of ingenious at that point in time. It was actually very intelligent. They knew to look for concentration of color, a variety of color. They knew to look for blood. They knew to look for any other shade of color. And they also knew to look actually weirdly enough for kidney stones. We do have mention of them finding people who have passed stone. The diagnosis also just depended on viscosity. Which is a weird thing to think about with urine. A lot of these things don't seem like they prolong your life very long. To put it into terms, a Hail Mary. Yes. That would either fix it or would save you long enough for a priest to get there with the Eucharist to give you your last rites. A lot of these are just kind of basic form of the scientific method. It was a lot of guess and check. Oral tradition is huge because literacy was not a thing. We value literacy so much now, and we do look down on people who, if they aren't literate or if if a culture has primarily oral history. But I think that is something we have to acknowledge here, was that for lay people, oral history and oral knowledge of medicine was their, their main source. Thank you for being here today. You live with me, so it's not like this was, like, that hard. Yeah, I had a couple hours free. Yes. not a medical professional, so please consult your primary care physician for advice if you were intrigued by anything you heard today. I do all my own research, and my sources are linked in the description, so please give all those scientists your love. The intro music was done by Cooper Wood, and the artwork was done by me. You can follow me on Twitter at CP underscore capital with Emma Ives, and Instagram at at chill pill with Emma Ives. 
Thanks for listening to Chill Pill, and remember, be kind and wear a mask. You didn't write a conclusion? No, I didn't write a conclusion. Well, um, this is my payback for uh, you shouting at me about penicillin. You definitely shouted about aspirin. I have? Okay. The I... making of aspirin, the discovery of it. Yes, never mind. I have. Yeah. I have screamed about aspirin before.